Spirit of David and the cracks of the walls and the schemes that we're all running. We're exposed to the rain coming down from the clouds and the fire that falls from heaven. But our tragedy binds while our ignorance hides. We all wind up here together. Yeah, bodies are tied and our souls, they're blind bones broken by the weather. Got a lot of bad days still coming our way, but it's Sounded like everything was breaking. Well, our tears fell like rain when the morning light came in the wake of that disaster. But the spirit that's free shattered glass and our feet home splintered by the weather.
the Savior I felt fire from above and I've been down to that river and I ain't the same a prodigal return cause all my hope is in Jesus I thank God Today's gone. All my sins are forgiven. Cause I've been washed by the blood. I'm no stranger to the prison. I've worn shackles and chains. But I've been freed and forgiven, oh, I'm not going back, never be the same, that's why I sing, all my hope is in Jesus, thank God my yesterday's gone, 
Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this morning here at City Church. If you're new here, my name's Jay. I'm the director of worship, and it's a joy to be able to get together, uh, hear from God's word, sing together, and uh, Lord willing, be renewed. Um, I'm going to read a call to worship this morning from Psalm 42, verses 1 through 5. So as uh, I read this, I would encourage you to uh, open up your hearts, pray, and prepare for worship. Listen to these verses. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray together. God, all our hope is in you this morning. May your presence be here through your Holy Spirit, and may it move through our singing, and would it stir our hearts through your preached word. God, would your Holy Spirit satisfy our souls. God, we long for you. Even when we are in seasons of despair, as some of us no doubt are in right now, would you please Remind us of these things, that you satisfy, that you are good, that you are worthy of all praise, that we can trust in you. God, help us recall our mountaintop moments with you when we are in the valley feeling lost and alone. 
And may we as brothers and sisters build one another up as we lead each other in worship today, singing to you, but also, also for each other as a family, as the people of God. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with us? Let's sing together. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long. 
I have lost my appetite And the flood is welling up behind my eyes So I eat the tears I cry And if that were not enough They know just the words to cut and tear and pry when they ask me where's your God why are you downcast oh my soul why so disturbed within me I can remember when you showed your face to me as the deer pants for water so my soul thirsts for you and when i survey your splendor you so faithfully renew like a bed of rest for my fainting flesh i am satisfied When I'm looking at the ground, it's an inbred feedback loop that drags me down. So it's time to lift my brow and remember better days when I love to worship you. sweetest songs of praise why are you downcast oh my soul why so disturbed within me i can remember when you showed your grace to me as the deer pants for water so For my fainting flesh, I am satisfied in you. Let my sighs give way to songs that sing about your faithfulness. Let my pain reveal your glory as my only real rest. Let my all your breakers and your waves crash down on me I'll recall your safety scheme you're the one who made the waves and 
your son went out to suffer in my place and to show me that I'm saved. So why are you down? And why so disturbed? I am satisfied in you. 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 As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. Sing that again. As the deer panted for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. You alone are my strength, my shield. To you. be seated. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. Um, 
now that we're back in our building, there are a number of rhythms we're wanting to reestablish, and one of those is on a monthly basis um, highlight uh, one of um, a missionary and what God is doing around the world and how we as a community here in Gainesville can become engaged um, in that. So this morning, um, welcoming Laura uh, with us. Um, welcome, Laura. Nice to have you. So, um, Laura, we have a few people in common to kind of give us context. One, um, George and Mary are your parents, and George and Mary have been part of our city church family, uh, serving here um, since the beginning. And then secondly, um, in, in January, um, Kate and Andrew uh, were here, um, who also serve in Chad, and I understand you know them. So maybe as to kind of kick us off, just remind us, where is Chad? Um, what do you know, in what degree do you know Kate and Andrew, and, and what are you doing and they doing? Is it same or different? Yeah, thanks so much, and thank you for the opportunity to share this morning. Hopefully I have a slide up that will give a better, do a better job of showing where Chad is, there you go, than I can. So Chad is about as smack dab in the middle of Africa as you can get. And yes, if you trace from that hot blazing sun, which is, there's a reason for that, um, about halfway to over across the country. That is about where Kate and Andrew are. So not too far from them, still a good six plus hour drive, but not far, and yes, actually, we are working with the same group of Chadian Arab nomads. It's a people group of about a million and a half who live throughout the country, but especially on the east side of the country. So trying to work with them and bless them as we can. All right, thanks. Mm -hmm. So I understand you're a health professional. Um, tell us, how does your role as a certified nurse practitioner intersect with your work there in Chad? Yeah, a lot of time that we spend um, looks like this, what you see on the screen here, is just the sitting and being with people. So I have actually not done much in the way of official formal medical care, but lots of favors for friends, someone wanting to, me to look at their prescription and tell me how important it is, um, health education, and then my two housemates are actually midwives. And so even though I'm not a midwife, that has been something that God has hugely used in the last couple years to really blow open some doors into the nomad community. And as a health professional, even if not a midwife, I've gotten to be along for a lot of that, being able to help when one of them's not available, um, and just be able to sort of be that extra person for them. All right, thanks. Um, so I wanted to add, talk about uh, storytelling. We hear about we're a part of God's story. The Bible is God's grand story. Um, Jesus taught stories. How, how do you use storytelling in your ministry? So that's been something really exciting for me over the last two, two and a half years or so. Once I had some amount of a grasp on chatty and Arabic, which by the way is another thing that Andrew and Kate and I have in common. This is the main language we're working in. I was doing a language lesson one day. It's completely learner-driven, and so I have about two hours to, if you saw earlier, to sit on the mat with my language helper and to try to learn some new words, try to figure out new ways to say things. And one particular day, we were both just tired. I was over language learning. I was trying to push into how to get something else out of chatty and Arabic. And 30 minutes in, I was just done. And I finally just put the book aside and I said, okay, I was reading in my Bible this morning about a guy named Moses. Can I just tell you the story of Moses in chatty and Arabic and you correct me if I'm wrong? For the next hour and a half, this lady who was a good friend, but she had just been very distracted. She and her twin sister sat spellbound 
as I, in horrible Arabic, told them anything I could remember about Moses. And the Bible has a lot about Moses. Like, I went from baby in the bulrushes to Mount Nebo overlooking the promised land and anything I could think of in between. And just told over and just kept going. And they just sat, and it sat fascinated and wanting more and ignoring the distractions that would come their way. And it was sort of a wake-up call for me. I know that storying is a huge part of the Bible and it's how Jesus taught and is a known idea in missions right now is people love stories. Who doesn't? But this is actually what does grab people's hearts. So that's been a lot of really my work these past couple years has been I have nine stories that I've pretty much taken straight from Chadian Arabic scriptures starting from fall and going to the resurrection of Christ and just telling anybody who is interested because who doesn't love to hear a story? Wow, wow, that's great, thanks. Um, so two more questions before we finish our time up here. One is, um, how can we pray for you right now this morning? And then, um, how can we pray for you a, a month from now or six months from now or a year from now? How can we keep in contact with you or connected with you to find out what your ongoing um, prayer needs are? Thank you. Um, I'll answer the second one first. One is, come grab a prayer card if you're interested, just as a reminder to pray. I'll be back by the hospitality table afterwards. I do have also a weekly prayer team. If you're interested, if you're not on it and wanting to commit to pray weekly or and or just to get updates weekly, I do I have an email list as well as a running list of people who are committed to pray weekly for this work because it's a hard work and there's a lot of effort that's needed behind it and God works through his people's prayers and we certainly do not have the effort in and of ourselves that we need. So if you're wanting to commit to pray or just to get updates, please do grab me afterwards or just come grab a prayer card. And then for praying for me this morning, I, um, I just appreciate it. I'm halfway through a home assignment of about six months, so I have just over another three months left. So just prayer for rest in that time, for the connections that I have to make, and for any other prep that I'm thinking of or I'm not thinking of that's going to just be helpful for my next term. As well as pray for about half my team is currently in country, and they are, rainy season's just starting, so they're having their last chance to contact, contact nomads before they go far north and are very difficult to get to, literally, physically get to, over rainy season. And prayer for where the stories or any other word has been spoken, just, yeah, for God to keep using that in their hearts, even as I and some of my team are not there right now, or as they travel beyond the reach of any of our team. Okay, Thank thanks. Um, so I'm going to pray for Laura. Um, before I do that, I just want to invite you, um, in addition to being at the hospitality table immediately after this service, um, we're going to have a light lunch over in the white tents at 1230 uh, with Laura. And so you're welcome to come on back to hear more about what she uh, talked about briefly this morning, uh, to see more of her pictures. So I just want to invite you all. Everyone's invited at uh, 1230 um, under the white tents. Um, this uh, afternoon after the second service. Um, please join me, uh, City Church, as we pray. Father, thank you that we uh, can know Laura and have her with us and learn from her uh, this morning. Um, a privilege, Father, uh, humbling and, and a privilege. God, we do ask that um, as she uh, spends another three-plus uh, months here um, back in the States, that you indeed would uh, provide rest for her, restoration, God, um, vision, um, what you want her to do, what you have for her when she returns. Um, I pray, God, that this would be a time of emotional, spiritual, uh, physical um, refreshment uh, for her. And I thank you that we at City Church can be a small part of that. 
And um, we pray, Father, for her, her team members who are in um, Chad um, this afternoon and um, will be there uh, uh, working, loving, caring for people. Um, pray for their safety. Pray for the opportunities for them uh, to continue on uh, the ministry uh, while Laura is, is back here. So we thank you uh, for the team, the solid team that she has there, and bring them before you, Father. And, and um, boy, Father, we just humbly pray for people that you know, people that you love, people that you created um, who live in this, in this country called Chad, um, that their eyes um, would be open to who you are, um, your truth, their eyes would be open to Jesus, and um, just thank you for the privilege of coming alongside of the work, God, that you are doing, and uh, may we um, support Laura, uh, Kate, and Andrew, and others um, as they uh, do your work um, in the country of Chad. Thank you uh, again for this privilege this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was really encouraging. Thank you, Laura, for being here. Um, thank you, Dorian, for doing the interview. Dorian, by the way, is one of the members of our missions committee, and um, we could use a couple more folks on that committee. So if you're interested in being part of something like that, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and one of the ways that you can uh, tell us about yourself is by filling out a connection card. You should have one in your bulletin. Uh, there's also bulletins all the way back on the hospitality table we have both our weekly bulletin, we also put out a monthly bulletin that has even more information. And for the sake of time today, I'm mainly, for announcements, going to refer you to those bulletins. It'd be a wonderful adventure for all of you to go back there, check it out, see what's going on in the life of our church, and find me after the service. If anything is unclear, I would love to make sure that everything is crystal clear. Our community groups are on break right now. That's important, but they're resuming in a couple of weeks. Kind of a staggered start. Some are going to start in July. Some are going to resume in August. We would love to tell you more about what they are and get you connected with leaders and hosts even now so that when they do start, you will be good to go. So just as a heads up, and we have two things going on today. We have that missions lunch that Dorian just mentioned. That's at 1230. It'll be out in the, the white. There's actually two sets of white tents now, so this is a little interesting. Um, one of the white sets of white tents is kind of catty corner across from us in a parking lot. That's what you're going to be looking for. We'll be over there. At 12:30, we also have a members, excuse me, a membership class uh, from 1 to 5 today, and that will be uh, in the community room behind the lobby. So, if you want to learn more about our church, what we believe, kind of how to be invested in our uh, church family, we would love to see you. I know that's a lot to ask, uh, four hours of your time, if you weren't planning on it. But if you're seeing that and you're thinking, you know what, I would love to be a part of that, chat with me after the service. There's still room for you, and we, will, we would love to have you. You could go to the lunch at 1230, and then you could go to the membership class at 1 o'clock and be here until 5 o'clock, and I'll be here until 5 o'clock, and we'll have a really good time together. Uh, my name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. We are a church aspiring to be an authentic community walking with God in our city. It is really beautiful to have you here. Uh, we worship a generous God. Part of our responsive worship as the people of God is giving generously. You can always give online. Uh, citychurchgmv.com slash give, but there's also a brown box in the back of that, uh, of our sanctuary. Our scripture passage this morning is from the book of Nehemiah, chapters 3 and 4, Nehemiah 3 and 4. We're in a series here at City Church in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, which are one literary unit. Now we're in the book of Nehemiah. We finished Ezra last week. We started into Nehemiah, and today we are in Nehemiah chapters 3 and 4. Mercifully, I'm not going to read the entire thing, um, 
I mean that really seriously. Read chapter 3 and see what happens. So uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and then Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. So I'll read chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and then skip to chapter 4, verses 1 through 14, then we'll pray together. Passage is up on the screen. If you have a Bible, great idea uh, to pull it out and follow along with us. So this is Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel, and next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to him, next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. And now here we're in chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. Now when Sam Ballot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captive. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop their work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, in your homes. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to affirm what Dorian was praying earlier for Laura. May you bless her and then also Andrew and Kate as they do difficult but beautiful work in Chad, working with Arabs um, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ and also to bring uh, much needed, even physical and emotional relief. And we do uh, pray a blessing over them even now. And um, we do pray that you would during these months of home leave for Laura, would you indeed strengthen her and give her rest. Give us rest by the power of your spirit and through the preaching of your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are all aware of the ongoing, rather intense polarization in our country, even among different camps of Jesus followers. You know, some of it is political, some of it is cultural, some of it is theological, etc. Now, I don't want to trivialize any of that, but you need to know that polarization among Christians isn't new. It's not new. We were dealing with it all the way back in the 90s as well. 
if you would believe this. And back then the issue was this. The issue was Braveheart. That's what we were arguing about. We were arguing about, it came out in 1995, huge argument. Should Christians watch this movie or not? Was the content permissible because of the movie's depiction of courage and other-oriented sacrifice, or was it out of bounds because of its brutal violence? Was Mel Gibson a good casting decision? <laughs> or was the decision born, you know, more out of pragmatism to sell tickets? I am not here to settle that debate. That's what you're arguing about. I am not here to settle that debate. I'm not even going to tell you if I watched the movie because I don't want to be labeled. <laughs> but I have some really good news, especially for those of you who took a pass on Braveheart and feel like you're missing out. Nehemiah levels the playing field. Nehemiah levels the playing field. Why? Because William Wallace has nothing on Nehemiah in his rhetorical excellence. I mean, did you catch the last verse of the passage I just read? Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I mean, doesn't that make you want to run through a wall? If it helps, you can read it back to yourself you know, again later in with a Scottish accent. But actually, I have even better news for you. Nehemiah, his rhetoric isn't merely inspiring. It's profoundly relevant and timely given our present circumstances. It shows us how to move forward in an age that is fraught with severe polarization and opposition and discouragement, far more significant challenges and making a call on watching an R-rated movie. You'll notice some thematic overlap this morning in Nehemiah chapters 3 and 4 with what we covered a few weeks ago in Ezra chapters 4 through 6. However, that passage dealt more with the importance of having the right expectations about difficulties and suffering, whereas our time today is going to deal more practically with how to move forward when the difficulties we're expecting knock on the door. So here are two exhortations that will frame our time this morning as we consider how to live faithfully in especially difficult seasons. Number one, remember the Lord. And then number two, keep going. Remember the Lord, and then keep going. Let's forge ahead with that first exhortation, which we will be spending most of our time on. Uh, because it kind of contains a sermon within a sermon. You're getting, you're getting BOGO sermons this morning, especially in this first exhortation. So number one, remember the Lord. If you're just joining us here at City Church in person or online, welcome. We are very glad to have you. We're in a series in the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah, which together are one literary unit. They tell the story of God's hand in delivering the Israelites out of Babylonian exile, just as he had promised. So formerly the Israelites, as God's chosen people, had gained the promised land as their inheritance, but they lost it on account of their idolatry and their injustice, thus their exile into Babylon. Now they're coming back to the promised land, and they're coming back in waves. The focus is, is basically on Jerusalem. And they're coming back in waves under a series of, of leaders. In Ezra, we looked at the first and second waves under the leadership of Zerubbabel in Ezra. Now we're in the book of Nehemiah, and we're considering what we might call a third wave under the leadership 
of Nehemiah in 445 BC. So basically 13 years after Ezra arrived in Jerusalem with the second wave. And I say that we might call this a third wave because it's not clear in the text how many exiles returned with Nehemiah to Jerusalem. King Artaxerxes, he sent some military personnel with Nehemiah to help ensure a safe journey, but beyond that, it's hard to say who else was with him. Ezra returned to Jerusalem to teach the law and to regulate worship in the newly rebuilt Jerusalem temple. Nehemiah returned to help rebuild Jerusalem's walls. And last week, we discussed Nehemiah's prayerful, courageous resolve to make that journey happen, including a very audacious conversation with the Persian king, Artaxerxes, and then some verbal sparring with his opponents once he arrived in Jerusalem. Earlier I read the first couple verses of Nehemiah chapter 3, which zooms in on the systematic reconstruction of the wall. Chapter 3, now, is a lot to take in, so I'm going to walk you through the highlights. This is, this is kind of like post-exilic sports center, if you will. Highlight number one of Ezra chapter, uh, Nehemiah chapter 3. Highlight number one, consecration. Consecration. You can see in verses 1 through 2 that Eliashib, the high priest, worked with his fellow priests to build and consecrate the sheep gate, which was the first segment of the rebuild, and then the, the project con it continued counterclockwise after that until they were done. Consecration meant ritualistically giving the sheep gate a sacred, set-apart status, which is a very powerful reminder that this whole wall project, not just the sheep gate, was a spiritual undertaking ultimately commissioned and guided by the Lord. So that's highlight number one, consecration. Highlight number two, cohesion. The rest of chapter three makes it clear that the project required very enthusiastic buy-in from Israelites in different geographical locations inside and outside Jerusalem, from Israelites representing different families, from Israelites working in various vocations and callings. You see goldsmiths and perfumers and rulers and priests and, and so forth. So the bottom line here is that success required buy-in from everybody everywhere. Cohesion. Highlight number three, collaboration. Everyone had to work together. They didn't just have, not, not just working, they had to work together. Yes, the, the more than 40 groups you see mentioned here were organized by household and by vocation, and so forth, possibly for the sake of morale. It helps to work with your buddies. But these groups were working right next to other groups from different families and different vocations who were building additional gates and wall segments. So Israelites from different walks of life had to collaborate and work together because one of the essential qualities of a solid wall is togetherness. Your gate or your wall segment 
however spectacular it might be in its own right, it does not do a darn thing unless it fits with the other segments. You know this. You can build your wall segment with diamonds. It can be the most majestic wall segment in all of the land. But unless the other segments get built along with it, and then unless all those segments and gates fit together, then you do not have a wall. You can have 99% of a wall, and you still don't have a wall. Collaboration also meant willingness to do things that you normally would not do, including the so-called menial tasks. I mean, the high priest, Eliashib, he got some tools, and he went to work, even though this certainly was not his primary calling or spiritual gift at all. And man, this poor guy named Melchiah, you see him in verse 14. He had to rebuild the dung gate. He had to rebuild the dung gate, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's exactly what it sounds like. In order to discard trash, or potentially even human waste, you would make your way through the dung gate at the southern edge of the city of Jerusalem, and you would discard it outside the gates in the valley below. That's what you would do. So there was nothing prestigious about the dung gate job at all. And Melchiah was probably dealing with some rather oppressive smells. But he faithfully went about his business because he was more concerned about the big picture than he was about his own well-being and rights and honor. Church, we already have a sermon here, don't we? This is what I'm saying. That's why you get bogus. We already have a sermon. Nehemiah chapter 3, it's a glorified project list. But it'll preach. If the people of God want to be faithfully on mission, in accordance with God's will, the key ingredients are consecration, cohesion, and collaboration. Do you see this? Or to put it another way, we present our very lives unto the Lord, as living sacrifices set apart for him. This is the holiness we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And then we roll up our sleeves and enthusiastically invest in the greater good of the body of Christ, even if it means managing the dungate. Conversely, if the people of God want to be off mission, then they should primarily be, con be concerned about their own rights and their own comfort and their own preferences, and they should speak very individualistically about finding the right application of their gifts instead of paying attention to the overall condition of the church and jumping in wherever there might be a need. You should sign up for the children's ministry this morning, by the way. And then we should put all of our energy into flashy things like, you know, having a good communicator and a good band and very little energy into things like discipleship and hospitality and justice. This mentality, this kind of mentality will definitely take God's people off mission. And bonus, it will create a polarizing, conflict-ridden environment. Plus, you'll end up with a bunch of segments, but nothing close to a wall. Thankfully, the church in the West can't relate to that, right? Now, probably most of us, here's the thing, though. Most of us desire, I think, if I'm being charitable, I think most of us desire to be on mission, and agree at least intellectually with the posture necessary 
to make that happen. We want to build a wall, not just 99% of it. We actually want to do this. It sounds good on the surface. So why doesn't it always happen? Why the ongoing struggles with selfishness and individualism among people who profess to know and love God? Why does this happen? There are several reasons for this, but the reason we're focusing on this morning is difficult circumstances. And the connection will become clear as we proceed. Look at chapter 4. Even though chapter 3 casts the rebuilding project in a rather idyllic light, trouble emerges in chapter 4 and some fractures begin to form. This trouble was foreshadowed back in chapter 2 when we learn that Sanballat, Tobiah, and eventually Geshem were, quote, displeased that Nehemiah had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. We don't have a lot of information about these guys, but it appears is though they represented Jerusalem's neighbors to the northeast, the northwest, and the southeast. And this would be Ammon, Samaria, and Edom, Moab. And these neighbors really just did not love the idea of Jerusalem becoming a more formidable presence in the region. They preferred a weak Jerusalem. Well, as the Israelites made progress with the wall, these three musketeers got really upset. They got really upset. In fact, ver- chapter 4, verse 1 says that Sambalat was greatly enraged and began to jeer at the Jews and their work. And then soon Tobiah joined him, bringing us perhaps the weakest insult in the entire Bible in verse 3. Ha, ha, ha. Yes, what a feeble thing it is that these Jews are building. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So perhaps unsurprisingly, these Insults didn't make much of an impact. So eventually, Israel's enemies, and you see this in verses 7 and 8 and then 11, they plotted together to physically fight against Jerusalem by infiltrating their workforce, causing confusion, and killing those who were working on the rebuild. That was the plot. This was a, this was a whole new level of opposition. This was way worse than the Fox this. And it was far more effective. It was very effective. Fear set in among those who were doing the rebuilding, which gave way to discouragement. You see this in verse 10. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Remember how some of the folks helping with the wall had traveled into the city from other areas in Jerusalem? Well, when their family members heard about the threats and the plots, you can see in verse 12, that they traveled to Jerusalem and then they made ten separate pleas for these workers to leave the city and return to their home. Difficult seasons, regardless of the cause, tend to promote fear and fatigue. And how do human beings commonly respond to fear and fatigue? How do we respond? Either A, We become self-preservationists and tend to act individualistically rather than paying attention to the needs of others. Or B, we find ourselves in hero mode, desperately trying to save the day. The problem is that self-preservation mode and hero mode both tend to promote excessive self-focus, which causes fractures and polarization and eventually despair. 
Nehemiah realized what was happening. He saw what was happening. So the remedy he prescribed, it didn't, it didn't you know, merely account for the difficulties the Israelites were experiencing. It accounted for the impact of those difficulties, the tension and the discouragement and so forth. And the remedy, the remedy was this William Wallace speech I mentioned earlier in verse 14. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. That's the remedy. And notice very importantly that it was insufficient for Nehemiah to simply tell the Israelites not to be afraid. He had to redirect them to something else. And that something else was the Lord. What was it to remember about the Lord? What should they have been remembering? His goodness? Recall the references all over Ezra and Nehemiah about the good hand of the Lord being upon the returning exiles and their leaders? His protective zeal? As Nehemiah assures the Israelites later in chapter 4, specifically verse 20, our God will fight for us. His greatness, verse 14 again, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. So God isn't a merely zealous fighter. He gets the job done all day, every day, because he's uniquely great. There is no one else like him. He's completely set apart. And certainly the Israelites would have remembered examples of God getting the job done in the past, especially the Israelite exodus out of Egyptian slavery. We can hear some echoes of the Chronicles of Narnia here, can't we? At least I can. Mr. Beaver, Mr. Beaver famously describes Aslan the lion to Susan like this. Safe! Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Church, we've been navigating some remarkably difficult seasons together. But do not be afraid. Instead, remember the Lord. Remember that we're walking with a God who is good and extends goodness and mercy to his people all the days of their lives. Psalm 23. Remember that when anyone or anything threatens God's people, God is certainly not safe. He will fight back, and he will defend them. Remember that God will always get the job done because he's great and awesome. By the way, you don't want to find yourself being an enemy of God, as you can tell. Will there be bumps along the way for God's people? Yes. But none of the difficulties will ever threaten God's plans for his people or the inheritance that God has in store for them. Pandemics will not threaten this. Persecution can't threaten this. Political parties or leaders with nefarious goals cannot threaten this. Certainly the events in Israelite history still encourage us, even today, and it's right that they should, but our remembering, what does it center on now? Our remembering centers on the cross of Jesus Christ the Son of God who gave us an even greater exodus from slavery to sin. And through his resurrection, Jesus raises us up into new life, a new life of freedom that will one day culminate in our return from our earthly exile into a new city, Jerusalem, that God's preparing for us even now. You see how this all fits together. God also shows his goodness to us individually and corporately in many other ways, ways that are very important to celebrate in the moment, and then remember with fondness 
when the difficult seasons knock on the door. And we were just singing about that earlier, weren't we? How do we remember? How is it that we remember? What does it look like? Well, remembering, it requires the intentional spiritual rhythms that many of you are familiar with. You know, scripture meditation, scripture memory, prayer, a long walk in the woods, an intentional meal with members of your church family. But this, this is really important. It also changes the way we engage in those rhythms. Remembering changes the way we engage in those rhythms. For example, as, as Oswald Chambers very famously put this, there's a big difference between praying with our eyes on the difficulties and praying with our eyes on God. The discipline of remembering helps us pray with our eyes fixed upon the Lord. It helps us look up rather than looking at our problems. And not only does this help you deal with fear, which it does, it helps you deal with the excessive self-interest that fear tends to foster. Remembering the Lord keeps you from remembering yourself. I am convinced, big time, that followers of Jesus have gone sideways with each other in these past 12 to 15 months over masks and politics and justice and whatever, mainly because these hardships have engendered fearful responses that are excessively self-focused. And we shouldn't be all that surprised by this development given the seeds that I would say primarily Western Christians have recently been sowing into the church of Jesus Christ that emphasize a very me-centered theology and de-emphasizes the well-being of the people we're called to strive side by side with for the sake of the gospel. So what's the way forward? The way, the way forward is redirected gazes, remembering the Lord coupled with godly self-forgetfulness. Remembering with gratitude the blessings to come. That, that is the kind of fuel we need for holy perseverance in seasons of great difficulty. Now, remembering the Lord doesn't mean you then sit on your hands. And that brings us to our second and far briefer exhortation. It doesn't mean you sit on your hands. Here's the second exhortation. Yes, you remember, but then you keep going. We actually already hinted at this when we discussed the value of cohesion and collaboration back in chapter 3. But here in chapter 4 we see that remembering and persevering action are so tightly bound together that they might as well get married. Verse 9, we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Verse 14, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that it, that is, their plot, was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. And notice in verses 16 through 23 that despite the fact that some of the immediate danger had apparently passed, Nehemiah still believed it was prudent to redirect half of his wall builders to defense while the other half continued to work. So in the face of difficulty, in this case, in the face of very grave opposition, Nehemiah kept everybody going and even believed it was wise to raise up a solid line of defense. These were not contradictions in his mind. In his mind, all of this complemented remembering 
and prayerful pleas to the Lord for protection and deliverance. And can we find this sentiment elsewhere in Scripture, or is it just here? Can we find this sentiment elsewhere? We can find it elsewhere. Consider the Apostle Paul's exhortation to the Philippian church, which was dealing with all sorts of opposition and persecution. This is Philippians chapter 1, verses 27-28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Same sentiment. Opposition and pain and grief can promote paralysis. Kind of a, a despairing personal shutdown. Or we can convince ourselves that the main thing to do is pray and then, and then wait for the angels to descend from the heavenlies. Just kind of sit there, we prayed about it, and then surely there's going to be some sort of supernatural intervention. But the biblical pattern is actually this. Remember the Lord and keep going. Stand firm, keep striving. One of the most helpful pieces of advice I got when my dad passed away was this. Yes, make space to grieve, take a few days away to process, spend time with friends, meet with a counselor, do all of that. But by and large, keep going. Keep going. Keep putting one foot in front of the other, remembering that God is with you and will go before you and even fight for you. Keep going to work, keep loving your wife, care for your mom, keep going. But let me tell you a secret, lest you think I became some kind of persevering hero, or lest you try to become one on your own. Here's a secret. If you want to keep going, what does it require? Community, actually. Specifically, a cohesive and collaborative community where people walk with one another through difficult seasons. You already know what the objection will be. And this might be your objection. People get hurt in community. People get hurt all the time. Better to go it alone with Jesus. That's all I need. Of course people get hurt in community. And surely some of you have experienced that. But biblically speaking, people also persevere in community and get healed in community. They get hurt. Yes, the Bible's not going to argue with you but then they also persevere in community and they get healed in community. Community is imperfect because the people in the community happen to be imperfect. That's the problem. But God still uses spiritual community as a powerful engine for perseverance and growth. That is a biblical pattern. You come to Jesus and he says, people get hurt in community. He's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but use it anyway. Check out the persevering togetherness you see in Nehemiah chapter 4. This is verse 15. In the face of opposition, they all return to the wall, each to his work. Everybody went back. And despite their ongoing fear, half the group kept building and half put their lives on the line as agents of defense. It's verses 19 and 20 that really get me, though. Here's the verses that really get me. And I, that is Nehemiah, said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. In other words, if anybody attacks us, which was completely on the, in the realm of possibility at this time, if anybody attacks us, you'll hear a trumpeter blow his horn. And when you do, everybody better show up. Everybody. Stop what you're doing. 
and you make your way to the horn. And know that our God will fight for us. It didn't matter who you were. It did not matter what your wall responsibilities might have been. It did not matter if you liked the people working next to you on the wall. It didn't even matter how the people working next to you on the wall felt about masks and vaccines. You were going to show up. You were going to follow the music. One more objection. And this objection is particularly relevant because of all the isolation and the loneliness we've been enduring throughout the pandemic. How am I supposed to keep going in community if I do not have said community? How is this supposed to work? I mean, what are you supposed to do in the middle of a lockdown? What if I've tried to get plugged into a church community, but I keep experiencing rejection and rejection and rejection? What about those folks who go to jail for their faith in Jesus? What are they supposed to do? Well, about those folks who go to jail, I'm going to end with this story, which I think helps us understand the value of community, even in isolation, especially if we're willing to keep the big, big community picture in view. This is fascinating. If you're not familiar with Richard Wormbrand, if you're not familiar with Richard Wormbrand, I I encourage you to get familiar with him. He was a Romanian Christian. He died in like 2001. Romanian Christian who was imprisoned for his faith for 14 years under the communist Romanian regime. Three of them in total isolation, solitary confinement. Didn't even see light basically for three years. He wrote an assortment of memoirs after he got out, Tortured for Christ being the most famous. I recently saw Gavin Orland highlight a Wormbrand story I was previously I'm familiar with. While in prison, an elderly Orthodox priest was freshly admitted to Wormbrand's compound. Even though this priest had lost everything, I mean everything, church, family, all of it, his standard greeting was always, here's how he would greet people. This, this priest would walk around and he would say, always rejoice. So some people would say, good morning, and he would say, always rejoice. That was his standard greeting. And eventually, Wormbrand asked the priest why he spoke so joyfully, given the circumstances. And then Wormbrand, uh, sorry, the priest said this in response to Wormbrand. He said this, he said, rejoicing is actually very easy. If we fulfill at least one word from the Bible, it is written, rejoice with all those who rejoice. Now, if one rejoices with all who rejoice, he always has plenty of motivation for rejoicing. I sit in jail, I rejoice that so many are free. I don't go to church, but I rejoice with all those who are in church. I can't take Holy Communion, but I rejoice about all those who take. I can't read the Bible or any other holy book, but I rejoice with those who do. I can't see flowers, but I rejoice with those who do. Have you ever thought about community in that light? Especially in difficult times. Amen. Every week at City Church, we participate in the Lord's Supper together. By the way, as a community, what do we do? We consecrate this meal unto the Lord, and ideally, for being biblical, we eat it collaboratively and cohesively as one body. Lord Jesus, on the night that he was to be betrayed, had a meal with his disciples, and during the meal, he took the bread, 
and he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. And then in a similar manner, after the meal, Jesus took the cup, and as he poured it, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are remembering, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. We're remembering the Lord's death until he comes again. This is a meal for followers of Jesus who understand their sin, their need for a Savior, and desire to remember corporately together in a way that is spiritually transformative. We're not just remembering. We actually believe that the Holy Spirit of God is active as we participate in this meal and actually changes us. and We leave here different people because we engage in this meal. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, we would, we're, we're glad that you're here. We're very blessed that you're with us. Instead of taking a meal that you wouldn't say you believe in, we would encourage you to reflect on what we've been talking about this morning. After I pray, you'll find an elder or deacon here or here. Uh, simply come uh, when you're ready and uh, receive. We have these little uh, communion packets. We'll just drop in your hand. Or you can go to the back uh, hospitality table. There's a basket on the table. If you don't want to approach somebody, if you'd rather just go to a basket, you can take one out of the basket. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the timeliness of this meal in which we indeed remember the Lord who fights for us. And I do pray that as we take this meal, we would indeed experience the spiritual nourishment that you, we've been talking about, that you intend for us. Help us to take it rightly, examining our hearts. And if there's sin that we need to bring into the light to deal with, to confess, may we do that now. Would you expose it and convict us so that we might Freshly enjoy the grace of God in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
stand with us as we worship together. And let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song. You are good, good, oh, you are good, good, oh, you are the king of my heart be the wind inside my sail 
Never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. is good. Uh, thank you for worshiping with us this morning. I'm Ryan, one of the pastors, and 
before our benediction, a couple of quick reminders. One, I uh, encourage you to go to the welcome table afterwards if you'd like to talk with Laura or get more information about uh, being a prayer supporter of hers. If you are interested in membership, remember that we have a membership class this afternoon, 1 to 5 p.m. in the community room. So you can go grab lunch and then make your way back for that. Our benediction comes from Romans 8. Paul writes, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's sing the doxology. Let's sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.
Oh. 